Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. Sports Rivals wish all of you a happy Independence Day weekend. Happy 4th of July. Ernie, what a wild first week of NBA free agency. I think we both expected it to be a little bit wild. But I think when Kevin Durant requested Mm -hmm. a trade, that threw everything for a loop. So your early, let's, we'll get to Kevin Durant a little bit later, but your early impressions about what happened specifically with your Celtics, I believe they made a great trade. Oh yeah, it was, it's, it's a terrific guy. I, I actually didn't even see that one coming. Uh, I was, uh, anticipating if we were going to get anybody from the, the Pacers, it would have been TJ Warren, but lo and behold, you know, Brad Stevens does his magic a la Danny Ainge and pulls off you know, a five for one as far as players are concerned to land Malcolm Brogdon. I just hope this is the Malcolm Brogdon from the Milwaukee days. Uh, he has been much maligned after being traded to the Indiana, Indiana Pacers. Probably averaged little less than 60 games uh, per season since he's been there. Three-point shooting as uh, as well has been very up and down. I think he shot 31% last year, 31%, uh, 33% his first year at India uh, uh, at the Pacers, and maybe 38% in between. So if if we can get a steadying force, and I'm kind of gonna assume that those statistics belie the fact that he was overutilized in that Pacers system. That, uh, you know, mo- most of the concentration, uh, when he comes to the Boston Celtics will be put onto the Jays that he'll be able to do what he did in Milwaukee. So terrific trade for the Celtics and what a coup. I, I agree. I mean, I think for me, I think there is no downside. I think what Brad Stevens was able to do, I mean, there is a chance that Aaron Neesmith breaks out at some point but he hasn't it mm-hmm. hasn't worked you you right. elaborated about right. how he dominates in practice, practice. With his shooting but he can't it doesn't translate so and we talked about this maybe he needs another venue to restart his career and he's going to get it but there's very little risk they basically had to combine salaries so they threw five guys out there lucky if two of them stick with the pacers mm-hmm. probably um and then you slide Brogdon in there. Now, if he is the Milwaukee version, then the Celtics are going to be really, really hard to to yeah. to beat. Yeah. Um, if he's the Pacer version, then he's going to be not quite that player, but he'll be a great piece to combine with Marcus Smart. Yes. Uh, and then it, protection in case White doesn't respond well. Um, I don't see a downside. I mean, yeah. I, I like the trade. I didn't hear anything about this. So the fact that it was one of the first things announced on free agency Thursday was crazy. But Ernie, let's, let's talk about some of the contracts that's gone. Money flying around like it's monopoly money. I mean, we start with the <laughs> biggest contract in NBA history. The two time MVP, Nikola Jokic signs a five year, $270 million extension. Mm-hmm. 
Folks, that breaks down to $54 million per year, right. which is just mind-boggling to me that we're at the point where these players are making 50 plus million a year. I mean, I, I, I guess the money is there, but man, that seems like a lot for a basketball player. No, I mean, it, it is, and it all comes down to percentage of revenue. And with the, you know, with the valuation of these franchises in the NBA going up exponentially from the last, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, there isn't an owner out there that uh, hasn't made bank in regards to uh paying these salaries they they've all made a profit at least in the form of uh equity within their uh their franchises so and it's gonna even get bigger uh uh for jason tatum his contract comes up in a year or two and that's when the new tv agreement comes out and they're expecting 300 million when that comes out so i mean it's probably, I mean, it's probably escalating. You have Devin Booker, who re-signed for $224 million for four years. Uh, you had the same type thing for Cat. Carl Anthony Towns signed a, in a, a similar extension. Um, then you have John Morant and Zion Williamson, who mm-hmm. have signed their extensions worth $193 million. Uh, for Zion, it could be worth as much as 231 And for John Morant, it could be worth as much as $226 million, depending on how they come out this year in terms of the all-NBA ranking. So a lot of money being tossed all over the place. For my Lakers... We have no money to toss. <laughs> so we're signing all young guys. Uh, Lonnie Walker from the Spurs. Um, I don't even want to. Damian uh, Jones, who we had a couple of years ago. And now we bring him back. And Juan Toscano from the Warriors. Right. He wasn't playing for them. So he'll probably start for us. Well, we're, you know what? The Lakers are in a bidding battle for Thomas Bryant. So... <laughs> trying to get him back after we <laughs> traded him so it's a uh, i mean it is what it is with the lakers everything with the lakers hinges around the ability to jettison off somehow russell westbrook uh still a tremendous amount of chatter about kyrie irving yeah, right uh, and that trade and what it would take for the lakers to sweeten the pot to make that switch you know when all is said and done as much as Kyrie would be a risk, and we talked about this last last week, being if it was a mid-level exception, it, it just doesn't change anything. At this point in time, one year with Kyrie or one year at Russell Westbrook, I don't see a downside bringing Kyrie over. Mm-hmm. However, if we got to give up two number ones and, and THT in addition to that... I don't know if that's the smartest thing to do. The In the short run, the Lakers would be better. In the long run, it's definitely not going to help us. And I don't know even if Kyrie comes there. Kyrie, uh, AD, and LeBron, I don't think they're enough to win a title, mm-hmm. especially when you can't trust any of the three now, including LeBron, mm-hmm. who's missed 30 games every year you know since he's come back to to the lakers other than the strike shortened season where he had five months to rest so i'm curious to see how that plays out i think the people in los angeles really wanted to play out because they kind of realized that this year was so frustrating and brutal and running it back with the exact same team for the most part doesn't bode well for the lakers so i think anything different is what they're after so we'll have to see but let's get to kevin durant 
Your Celtics going to get him? No, I doubt it. I mean, there was chatter that they were going to do some asset consolidation and maybe bring, bring up a, a big package to ship out to the Nets, including draft picks. But, you know, all the chatter that I've seen in regards to, you know, that probability is actually a non-probability. Uh, you know, you're, we're talking about, uh, a Jalen Brown. Uh, even Jason Tatum was brought up in regards to a, a part of that package. And it's just not worth it. You got Kevin Durant, who's going to be turning 34. Both of the Jays are 23 and 25, respectively, not hitting their prime yet. And who knows? Who knows if Durant is, you know, just starting his decline? So, well, I'm it, sure he is. I mean, at 34, I'm sure it is. I'm sure he is starting his decline. Um, but even a slight decline, he could be the difference between a championship or not a championship. But let's take a step back because a couple of trades that happened as well, I think, has really changed the dynamic of the Kevin Durant situation. DeJounte Murray gets traded from the Spurs to the Hawks right. for you know Danilo uh, Gallinari, who's probably going to end up on your Celtics. I right. hear a lot of chatter about that. Yeah, he's there. And he's there. three number one picks. Right. Then you had the Utah Jazz trading Rudy Gobert to Minnesota for a similar package like what the Celtics did. Five guys that just have to fill his salary and four number one that's, picks. That's crazy. Plus a, a, you know, a pick swap. So essentially they gave five players and they gave four picks and a pick swap. So now the Nets are like, if Rudy Gobert can get four number ones and a pick swap, what should we demand? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, six, seven, eight. You know, I was telling uh, Ernie last night that I had seen a rumor about a four-team trade that where the Jazz end up with Kevin Durant and DeAndre Ayton, the Lakers end up with Kyrie, the Suns end up with Ben Simmons. And then Brooklyn ends up with THT Westbrook and 10 number one picks. That's crazy. Um, that just seems ludicrous. But at this point in time, I think the Nets have the power. I mean, Kevin Durant, I guess, could sit out next year. But if the Nets see what Rudy Gobert got, they're going to expect a lot more, as they should. It, it, yeah, and a lot more might be the type of team that they trade to. Because those number ones that are going to be coming coming over, you know, to, to Minnesota are going to be low draft picks. I mean, you're looking, I mean, Denver has always been a playoff team and, uh, Utah, yeah, Utah, I'm sorry, yeah. has always been a playoff team. And, you know, with Danny Ainge, I don't know how, how he's going to be forming, uh, that particular team, how the, you know, that roster is going to be looking, but I anticipate that those picks are going to be in the 20s. Now, if you're going to go down to a team that is a lottery team, and now you're looking at lottery picks for the next maybe two or three years, to me, I'd rather take three number ones in the lottery than four number ones in the late 20s. Yeah. I mean, ideally, that would be it. But I think any team that gets Kevin Durant is not going to be in the lottery. I mean, I think that's the assumption. You're not going to mortgage. If I'm a lottery team, I'm not going to mortgage my future to bring in somebody who's still going to keep us in the lottery and give up our lottery picks. So right. the only teams that would do that, and he wants to go to Phoenix, 
That's I'm not, not gonna sure happen. how that's going to work. It's not going to work. He wants to go to Miami. It's not going to work. I hear a lot of chatter that Butler is 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 trying to find a way to work with to get Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell in. Can, I can't see how that's going to work. work. I don't think they have enough assets, especially when you go back to the Rudy Gobert trade, because I think that changed everything. Right. Initially, when Durant asked, it was going to be something along the lines of you know a Duncan Robinson right. and, and maybe a Shrews and. Uh, another player and three number ones. Um, or from Phoenix, it would be something along the lines of a sign-in trade that included DeAndre Ayton, maybe Mikael Bridges, uh, and Cam Johnson and a number one, maybe. Um, that's, it's just not going to happen now. It's going to be some astronomical ask. And I just don't know if I would do it. Yeah. I mean, maybe if I'm Phoenix and I can keep Devin Booker, maybe I, I do it. Um, and Miami, you know, if you bring in Durant and you have to give up in some package out of bio some way. Yeah, they cannot. You know, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't seem like it's going to make them significantly better. Yeah. Um, but if they could find a way to, if Boston could find a way to get him, they would be the favorites to me, even if they had to give up a Jalen Brown. Yeah. I know you wouldn't want to do that. I but wouldn't. if you went into the season with a Smart and a Tatum and a Durant and a Robert Williams and Horford, um, Wow, that would be quite a roster. Yeah, I mean, right now, as it stands, I mean, there's still deals to be done. And, you know, this is all, all uh, you know, preseason hype. The Boston Celtics currently stand as the favorites in, on Vegas to, to win the NBA championship. So why upset the al- apple cart when you bring in Kevin Durant? And Kevin Durant, uh, again, your your window for winning a championship uh is two, three years, you know, and with that comes the, the really the risk in regards to what has Kevin Durant done in the places that he's gone. Really the only stabilizing place where he's won championships. And that's because you had Steph Curry, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson was in, was in San Francisco. So to me, it's, it's, it's not worth it. And I think the teams that are going to be looking to get Durant are going to find out that, you know what, it might not even be worth it. I mean, the amount of haul that the Nets are going to be wanting on top of this is going to be ridiculous. And I think the longer this drags out, the more that the Nets are going to squeeze. And they're going to have to do it twofold because they're not going to trade Kyrie until after they trade Durant. I mean, it's going to be because it's basically a package. Why trade Durant? And you're stuck with Kyrie. You're stuck with the problem that screwed you over basically last season. So if I was a Nets fan right now, I mean, I, I, I mean, I would be cautiously optimistic on maybe two or three years down the road on, on what the, you know, what are our, uh, payback for dealing out those two superstars are going to be, but I would be, I, I, from the outside looking in onto that franchise, man, you had Durant, you had Irving, and you had Harden, and you still found a way to screw it up. Yeah. The Sixers. The Sixers have been um, a possibility for Durant as well. And be. they do have some assets. Yeah, they do. I mean, they're they're demanding that they, you know, Tyrese Maxey be included in that. And of course, Tobias Harris and, and Thibault and three number ones. Um 
they already gave the Nets two number ones <laughs> for Harden. Harden. Right. So that would be five number ones for the two of them. And I, I just don't know. I don't know if that makes them better. No. I mean, you would think in theory it would make them better. But I believe, as we've discussed, that Harden's on his downswing. Even if you have Durant there at 34 years old, um, Tyrese Maxey looks like he's going to be the real deal. Yeah, he does. You know, so it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to see where Kevin Durant ends up. And no matter where it is that he ends up, the balance of power in the NBA is definitely going to shift. Um, and the Nets do have the power right now. They have the power to wait. They have four years left on his contract. Mm-hmm. So there's no real motivation on their part, other than to do him a favor to trade him to a team that he would want to go to. But they made it clear, you know, this is a once in a lifetime asset that we have. And we're going to leverage this asset to the best of our ability as they should. Mm-hmm. I mean, as they should. So it's going to be fascinating to see where, where Kevin Durant ends up. You know who has the assets to bring him in? Okay, see. And the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> oh, yeah. As, as far as personnel. I mean, the Golden State personnel. Warriors have the personnel between the young players and draft picks and veteran players. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that bridge has been burned. Uh, and I think for all involved, especially Durant, even if he were to go back there and win, the, the narrative is going to be the same. You know, you couldn't win anywhere else. You come back and you win again. Now, maybe he doesn't care. And I don't mm-hmm. think Golden State would care. They mm-hmm. could get him. Um, OKC has, but would he go back home? I mean, you'd have to trade all those young players, which maybe they would. I mean, but they're so far away that bringing him in is not going to be a difference. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure Durant at this point in time in his career that he's going to want to go to a contender. Mm-hmm. You know, unless the package comes in with other pieces, maybe a, a three or four team deal that brings in, you know, another superstar. Even though they have some uh, young and promising players on their roster, he's going to want to go to a team definitely that, uh, you know, is going to contend. If not, you know, he'll probably... You know, change his mind, maybe stay in on uh, the Nets roster, maybe just for another year and find a way to wiggle it himself out. But I think the bridge, I mean, I think that bridge is partially burned. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the relationship is now with him and Kyrie. Kyrie opts in and immediately after Durant does this, there's got to be some contention in regards to that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's certainly frustration that, you know, they have not materialized the way that they could have and should have for whatever the reasons are. I still think the best trade on the table is Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis for both Kyrie and Kevin Durant. <laughs> Nets, take that one. Take that one. That's the best deal on the table for you right now. Um, anything else within the basketball world that you found intriguing or exciting? You know what? I just, I, I enjoyed the draft, but I really, I really like this time of the year. I like, I like the free agency as well as, you know, the, the trades that are popping up. Uh, I'm glad that my Celtics were able to, you know, dig deep into their pockets. I mean, for a Celtic fan, I mean, they've, uh, you know, they haven't been pay- paying the luxury tax this year. They're going to go, if they keep their current roster as it is, from my understanding, they're going to be paying roughly about $37 million, you know, uh, in luxury tax penalties. Uh, and that's good for me right now. Cause I'll take that considering that, you know, that threshold is going to be still a little less than 200,000. And you're looking at the Golden State Warriors 
who are more than double of double that. Uh, you're looking at the, the Nets who are currently over that, although that situation might, uh, change the Clippers who are over that. <laughs> You know, and right now... And the Lakers are over that with three players. <laughs> Just Westbrook, LeBron, and AD were over that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but it's it, it, it's crazy. And there, there's still a lot more to come. Maybe not in regards to the marquee free agents out there. I mean, I, I, I anticipated that there wasn't going to be that many moves, you know, and as far as free agents were concerned, uh, you know, and it... it it came out that way. I think more of the moves came in regards to via trades. Yep. And yep. that's, that's where the action actually plays. And a lot of, a lot more teams just locking up players. Darius Garland gets a, a max extension at exactly. 193. Zach Levine gets his, uh, extension at 224 million. Yeah. And all, uh, all of well. this, I, I can guarantee you all of this is, all of this is in, in anticipation for the new TV contract that comes out in a year or two. And they're, you know, bite the bullet now. Uh, you'll get your compensation back, you know, when that con- contract comes out. Let's hope that that contract works out for the NBA because I saw, I mean, although the ratings were up this year versus last year, I saw that the Baseball World Series last year had higher ratings than the NBA Finals this year. Wow. Um, which is very surprising. It, now, if you think about it, though, you know, one is held in October where everybody's home. It's the middle of the fall. One is held at the beginning of summer where everybody's traveling. So maybe that had a play in that. But I never would have thought that I would have seen a situation where the Baseball World Series would have higher ratings than the NBA playoffs. But I think with so much money flying in from Apple, Amazon, all looking to make a splash with so much cash at their disposal, I think you're right. I think it's pretty safe to say that these sports are going to continue to grow their asset base and be able to pay these guys so much more money. So the last thing I want to cover is just Golden State. They lost almost everybody. They re-signed Kevin Looney, who I thought last week I said, no way they re-signed him so they can let Wiseman play and they can let Kuminga play. He's the only one that they did re-sign. I mean, literally their entire rest of their bench has left, yeah. which is not that big a deal if they're going to replace it. You know, they, they, they signed Dante DiVincenzo. Divin, DiVincenzo. Yeah. They, they signed him to take somebody else's spot. They're going to have a tremendous amount of, of, of space there to fill that out. But it really looks like they're going to run it back. And they view, uh, Kevon Looney as part of that core. Because he's been there for all the championships. Right, right. And I think for them, that loyalty brought him back. Now, whether they bring back Iguodala what remains to be seen. He seems like he's on his last legs. Um, this year, he barely played in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the playoffs. But we'll see. But I think, I think Golden State showed their hand that they're going to run this back. Um, they're going to have to fill in the gaps and hope these players continue to develop the Moody's and the Kamingas. But... If they do, they're going to be a tough to beat. Yeah, I mean, uh, Golden State will be Golden State. I mean, they're they're a terrific team just with their core. I mean, I would have I would have I would have kept Gary Payton. You know, in my opinion, like you said, Wiseman is is out there. I mean, there must be uh, you know inside chatter out there. You know that he's not developing as fast as they'd like to. Uh, obviously, Kaminga is an up and coming as well as Moody. Uh, but I, you know what? You got a proven product out there. You know, Gary Payton was a dog. I mean, the way that he locked up 
Tatum or gave Tatum such a hard time uh, should have proved something, you know. And they basically got the same contract as far as Looney and Gary Payton are concerned. And you got to let Wiseman develop, in my opinion. Yeah. So that was confusing to me. They must know what they're doing. I mean, they're... I think, it, I think it's loyalty. I mean, I do. I think it's loyalty for them. But you're right. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think Peyton has paid his dues at all the cuts that he's gone through. He, he showed his worth. Um, but you could be right. Maybe Wiseman is a trade piece that they're going to use and they're just going to stick with Kevon Looney. But I, I was I was surprised that he went... For him, I'm not surprised that somebody tried to take him mm-hmm. because he showed well, and now he's going to be a Portland Trailblazer, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll go from there. So what a week, what a fur. Actually, it's been relatively slow the last couple of days. All of this action came in the course, first yeah. 24 hours yeah. late in the week last week, and it, it was crazy. And as a as somebody like Ernie and I who are you know, you try to develop content for what you're going to cover. It was like, this is a home run. There's so much <laughs> to talk about, uh, which is awesome. So we're going to, we're going to switch. We're going to talk about football a little bit and the NFL right now. So this week, ESPN, I'm sure most of you or many of you use ESPN.com as a resource. And this week they had a very interesting ranking from one to 32. All the teams in the NFL, they ranked their roster strength and they used the pff grades as a barometer for how they measured these teams so i know ernie has a real issue with how some of these rankings went but i think we can agree at number one there's not a whole lot of surprise there buffalo bills the number one ranked total team roster yeah i mean i'm I, i'm not gonna argue uh Buffalo Bills being up there, I mean, I'm speaking a little out of turn in regards to uh, how they, you know, develop this metrics using pro football focus uh, and not making the necessary adjustments, in my opinion, to at least even out the slate. But Buffalo has a terrific uh, roster, you know, just by the fact that they have Josh Allen and that defense that they that vaunted defense that they have. So I'm not surprised that they're they're number one. I would if I were to guess, I would have said right from the beginning that they'd be top five. So for them to be number one is no surprise. Yeah, and then it's no surprise too that Tampa Bay is number two. I actually think they had a better roster last year than they do this year. Mm-hmm. Um but Last year, I thought they would have been number one, and now they're number two. I mean, you have Brady back, you have Fournette, you have Evans and Godwin and Gage. You do, you know, you lost almost all your tight ends except for Cameron Brait. Uh, you did lose some offensive linemen, but you actually replaced them with better offensive linemen via trade. So they're number two. I don't have a big problem with that. The only problem that... I would have with this is that the Rams keep beating them no matter where we play them. <laughs> but we'll let them be higher in these rankings. Oh, uh, uh, here's where I'm going to punch a hole on top of this. In, in, in that defense, their worst player, according to, you know, these their metrics of pro football focus, their worst player on defense is Devin White. A 35.1. So, I mean, just that alone... Um, yeah, I, I don't pretend to understand the algorithms used by PFF to construct their rankings. I mean, I, I don't I, for the life of me. But that does seem very shocking that Devin White 
a Pro Bowl caliber player, widely considered a Pro Bowl caliber player. Right. I know he had a, a not as good a year last year as he did two years ago, but to be a 35 ranking seems pretty pretty yeah, far out it's, there. It's, it's, it, 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 does, it doesn't it doesn't add up on on. If he had COVID, he'd be 45, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was surprising. And you know what is also surprising, Ernie, is who came in number three. I know there's a lot that's expected out of them. They have a brilliant young quarterback. But the Los Angeles Chargers, the third best roster in all of the NFL. The first thing that comes to mind when I see this is, Brandon Staley has a lot of pressure on him. Because mm-hmm. if the world is viewing them as having the third best roster in the NFL, then the pressure to win and win now is definitely there. Your thoughts on the Chargers at number three? Oh yeah, I'm just looking at their on their offensive rankings over there. It's very, very consistent. I mean, I'm looking at a low of 62 with Justin uh, Herbert at, at their high at 90.1 on the on the defensive side, a little bit uh, uh, lower. You know, Joey Bosa, who I thought would be. Uh, Actually, their, their top player actually got beat out by the, the new guy on the block, Khalil Mack, who's at 92, but they are, that's a, looking over their roster, that is a very formidable team. You know, they do on paper. They look fairly strong. I think that defense with Sebastian Joseph, Joseph Day, they brought in this year. Morgan Fox, they brought in this year. Familiarity again with Staley and the Rams. Those two guys come from the Rams. Um, and then you have Bosa, you have Khalil Mack. If he can bounce back healthy and then their defensive backfield, they signed, they paid a lot of money for JC Jackson. Asante Samuel had a very good, uh, first year or two. Uh, and then Derwin James is a superstar there. So that defense, technically is loaded loaded can they play up to their potential because last year they were gutted by the run which always made it hard for them to put teams away so Mm -hmm. the chargers at number three and then the reigning super bowl champs at number four which i get i mean they they certainly have a lot of top-end talent aaron donald has the highest grade of anyone in football at 93.5 you also have Jalen ramsey as the highest graded cornerback so that's going to skew your scores higher um and then on the offensive side you have cooper cup who's the second highest pff score uh in the league so i get it i mean balance wise i think top to bottom honestly top to bottom if you look at the chargers roster they probably are better than the rams from top to bottom Mm -hmm. it's just that aaron donald makes that much Much of a a, difference that everybody else is elevated because of his presence right and if you're if 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 you're putting aaron donald at 93.5 and somebody's at 90 uh i i find that that part is it's hard to see because aaron donald uh next to tj watt are just so much better than a lot of these other uh you know, pass rushers, if we can call them. I mean, very few players are in that league. Uh, but there is a big difference between that number and let's say their, their lowest rated player, safety, Nick, safety, uh, Nick Scott, who's listed at, at 57. So that disparity again, this is my critique. And I'm only saying this, folks, not to, uh, disparage pro football focus. 
it's just to come later on when we get to the Pittsburgh Steelers yeah. on where they're yeah. ranked. So I do I do want to accelerate things a little bit now that we got to the Rams because I do want to spend some time on the Steelers. At number five, you have the Green Bay Packers, which is not, um, you know, on the surface, I think Green Bay is always with the best record in the, with the, in the NFL. But I was actually a little surprised to see them at number five, considering they lost Devontae Adams. They really don't have wide receiver talent. Um, but there they are at number five. But... I know Ernie's going to have a big problem here at number six, Cleveland Browns. That, that is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, again, the, the paper champions from how many years in a row, uh, not even making the playoffs, barely only getting like one playoff win in that time span. Now their number six is. Have we not learned our lesson, people, in regards to the Cleveland Browns? The Cleveland Browns are the Cleveland Browns, which perennially will tell you that they are no better than a top 12 team. So, well, one of the first flawed things here is that they have Deshaun Watson with a very high score from the last time he played a couple of years back at 92 and a half. Um, as the quarterback, I think it's safe to say that the chances of him playing at all this year are relatively slim. So you replace him with Baker Mayfield or Jacoby Brissett and their PFF scores from last year. That's going to take this entire team down. But, uh, I knew you'd get a kick out of that, Ernie. Yeah. And even if they, if that were to happen and we kind of, the probability is it's going to happen. I mean, there's a high likelihood that. Uh, I, I would say there's more a likelihood that Deshaun Watson doesn't play the entire year that then he plays more than half the year. But even with that said, switching the quarterback probably would only drop him three spots. I mean, uh, if Baker Mayfield is, I would assume he's in the 70s or something like that. But I think, I mean, offensively, though, if you take away the quarterback, they do have an extremely talented offense with Chubb and Hunt and Amari Cooper there now. And then one of the best offensive lines, uh, in, in, in football. Defensively, they have some question marks if you, other than Miles Garrett. Um, but one thing that we talked about off the air that we don't like about this as well is that they actually factor in, if there is a rookie that's expected to start, mm -hmm. they give them credit for their college PFF rating yeah, from that, last year. That's wrong. Which is ridiculous that's because wrong. it skews this higher. And they have a couple of rookies that are listed here, including one David Bell, a wide receiver, that they give him an 87 and a half ranking, which would take him close to the top of the NFL, which seems ludicrous. So well, a little flaw there as well. Exactly, because the Eagles who are right behind them, who have A.J. Brown, is 86. So that right there uh, dispels that, uh, you know, that, that David Bell is better than A.J. Brown? E exactly, <laughs> exactly. But what about that Eagles at seven? That was really surprising to me as well. I know they've had a pretty good offseason, but seven, the number seven total roster in the NFL? That's that's going to further prove my point. I don't think they're the seventh best team by a long shot in regards to this. They're an up-and-coming team. I mean, Jalen Hurts, to me, is overperforming what I anticipated. Uh, now, that may change with Brown uh, into the mix. Uh, Devonta Smith is... Uh, an up and coming wide receiver who I think will have a brilliant career there. But it's still, you know, the Eagles are the Eagles. I mean, they play in a division, uh, that's really other than Dallas is, hasn't been very inspiring as far as, 
you know, sharpening your, your football skills when you get into the playoffs. So, you know, I would just from my mindset without even looking at this, I would have said that the Eagles were in the teens, not number seven. Yeah. And, and again, they're benefiting from that rookie scale because you have two rookies, Jordan Davis, their first round pick, Nicobe Dean, their third round pick that have really high scores. Nicobe Dean's at a 91.8, almost a 92 rating. Devin White was at 35. Exactly. You know, and then, and then Jordan Davis, we expect him to do well, but he's at an 82 and a half, you know, so little bit skewed there. So let's move quickly through the rest of the top 10. You have the Bengals at eight. You have the Chiefs at nine, which is surprising because for the last few years, I think many people had them at one, two, or three in terms of total roster. Right. And then the Miami Dolphins, a top 10 roster. Ernie, are you feeling that? I am not feeling that. <laughs> I am, I am really not feeling that. And, uh, you know what? Who knows? Maybe, maybe the change of coach, maybe the, you know, the infusion of certain players, you know, onto that, uh, Miami Dolphins team in, in you know, in, in, as far as like Tyreek Hill is concerned, maybe that infuses like that spark that, Tua needs in order to make that uh, team a little bit better, but top ten, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not feeling that right now. Well, you now. know what, their roster. If you really look at the roster, I think they have a much better roster than people expect, especially the ones that came in. You add Tyree Kill, who's at an 86. You add Cedric Wilson, who's at almost a 72. Mm-hmm. You add Teron Armstead, who's almost at a 76. Melbourne. You add Connor Williams, who's at a 75 on the offensive line. Yeah. Defensively, they were still strong even last year. Um, I don't know if they're top 10, but they do have a much more talented roster than, uh, than they did over the last couple of years for sure. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we'll see what Tyree Kill does. You know, his infusion on top of there gives them a lot of options in regards to how they can use Jaden Waddle, uh, you know, in the deep passing game. Uh, Tua has more been like more of a dump passer, uh, shooting that over to Tyreek Hill. He can easily turn a five yard, uh, play into a 25 yard play. So, and you, like you said earlier, the defense is, has always been good. And with the infusion of Melvin Ingram in, on top of that defense, also, I mean, uh, yes, he's a well, he's been well traveled, but he's still a force out there. Okay, so we'll shoot through the next five. It's New Orleans at eleven, the Baltimore Ravens at twelve, the San Francisco 49ers at thirteen. Again, the assumption there is Debo isn't going anywhere. The Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson at fourteen, and the Indianapolis Colts with uh, Matt Ryan there. At number 15. Then we get to the 16 through 20. You have the Dallas Cowboys at 16. You have the Washington Commanders at 17. So wow. that's three teams from the NFC least that are listed before the Pittsburgh Steelers, which we're getting to. They've got to be at 18, right? Nope. <laughs> It's the New England Patriots at 18. Minnesota Vikings at 19. Tennessee Titans at 20, the Raiders at 21, and then at 22, the 10th worst roster in the NFL, Ernie. That's ridiculous. When you put it that way, your Pittsburgh Steelers. It's, Tell it's, us what you think, that, Ernie. Uh, that is, that is, this is, you know what? 
I don't want to say certain four-letter words in regards to these rankings, you know, that kind of rhyme with suck, but <laughs> and, and this is ridiculous. I mean, I'm just going to say it. You, under the Tomlin era, and the Tomlin era has stretched all the way down from, from 2008, the man has not had a losing season. Just by that alone, you could throw Huey, Dewey, and Louie on top of this roster, and they'd be 16 right now. Okay, at eight and eight, they'd be 16 right now with who, with, we had Duck Hodges starting at one point, and they were still uh, a 500 team on top of this. So they've improved their offensive line. And right now I have their offensive line over here probably ranked worse than last year. And they've vastly improved their offensive line, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, that's all, that's all going to change. To me, what they really lost was on their wide receiver, uh, uh, portion, but they brought in some rookies. On top well, of that, I actually think that George Pickens' score at over almost seventy one is probably higher than Juju would have had last year. Probably, but it, I, uh, but for whatever reason, Ernie PFF does not like the Steelers because if we remember, Tomlin was number thirteen as a coach, and now the roster's at twenty two. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm looking at this. Mile, their middle inside linebacker isn't better. You know, with with Devin Bush and Miles Jack, they're probably wor- rated worse than college teams' middle linebackers. Well, the two of them combined, if you add them both, they still fall eight short of N'Kobe Dean from the Philadelphia yeah, Eagles. That's, that, that, is, that is ridiculous. Minka Fitzpatrick, all pro Minka Fitzpatrick is at 57. Now the highest paid safety... The Steelers got ripped off. Ernie, Ernie, he's only at 57. Why'd they pay him like they paid him? Really? Exactly. Because he's, <laughs> according to Pro Football Focus, he is the worst defensive back player on their roster because Terrell Edmonds is ranked higher. Cam Sutton is ranked higher. Levi Wallace, who was a part-time starter last year, is the best cornerback on that team. I... I <laughs> Yeah, I, I have no words to say. Guys, I'm just here. It's like I'm sitting next across from Ernie, and it's like I'm just trying to throw gasoline on the fire it's, just it's, to get this. I want him to share how he really feels this, about this. Yeah, this this is ridiculous. I mean, it does it does seem odd. I mean, again, you have one of the premier players in the NFL and TJ Watt on their defense. You know, what's weird is they have some highly rated players. Cameron uh, Hayward actually rated higher than TJ Watt. So you have two of the highest ranked defensive linemen there. And then Tyson Alualu gets credit for his score from a couple years ago. You have three guys at 87 plus on the defensive line where they're crushed is 37 miles jack, 34 Devin Bush. Uh, and then on the offensive side, I mean, I think there's a lot of consistency there. Everybody seems to be around 60 to 70. And of course, Mitch Trubisky doesn't help them as well. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, what, ha- what hurts them is miles jack, Devin Bush and Minka Fitzpatrick, who are widely underrated in regards to pro football focus pro football focus what they need i mean they do a good job i mean as far as the the technicals are concerned but what to make the best rosters using this without making the adjustments to you know taking into account the eye test uh pro bowls you know the amount of experience as far as rookies coming into this versus veteran players 
that needs to be done. They're not doing the read their readers uh, a service. It's, this is actually a disservice, in my opinion. The Steelers, in my opinion, definitely gotta be beating uh, the Philadelphia uh, Eagles and their number seven ranking. I, to me, it should be well, and the Washington Commanders. Exactly. This, this is this, this is basically a slap in the face. Ernie, you barely beat the Jets, who come in at twenty four. You know what? I don't. It really. I I really don't care because this is it's a flawed system. Uh, aside from the teams at near the top, uh, excluding Philadelphia. Uh, you know what? I don't even want to read anymore. This is this is ridiculous. <laughs> so you had the Cardinals there at 23. You had the Jets at 24. Let's just wrap up this list uh, so we can all know who has the worst roster. It's not the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions come in here at 25, followed by the Giants at 26, the Panthers at 27, Jacksonville at 28, the Seattle Seahawks at 29, how the mighty have fallen. And the Chicago Bears at 30, the Atlanta Falcons at 31, and the worst team in the NFL rosterized, Ernie, the Houston Texans. I guarantee you they'll finish top 20. Davis Mills is the real deal. But I, I do think, you know, to, to PFF's, I don't want to say credit, but talented rosters or untalented rosters is not a dictation for how their record is going to be. And you alluded to that with the Steelers. No, because, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. yeah. So just because you have a talented roster does not mean you're going to do well. And just because you have a under appreciated roster doesn't mean you can excel. So you're absolutely right there. Yeah, I mean, and, and just to go back to the Cleveland Browns, I believe they were ranked fifth on top of this this rating. I mean, again, they were anointed paper champions how many years in a row with, with their roster, you know, bringing in all-star after all-star, and it didn't really amount to anything. Uh, as far as the, the technical aspects, there has to be some use uh, as far as these rankings are concerned, just from a cumulative standpoint, when you're building these rosters and ranking it, 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 it doesn't pass the snuff, the eye test and whatnot. Uh, well, past success or failure is not an indication of, of future success right, or failure. Right. And I think that's the one thing that they have not taken into consideration. Yeah. ESPN, I, I advise you, please redo this with some common sense, uh, Add it to it. Yeah, add it to it. Cause it, it get, you know, you gotta do some adjustments in regards to this where you're really, you're making yourself look a little bit foolish. The Steelers are not number 22. <laughs> See, Ispen, you've got him very frustrated this holiday weekend, you know, so I, <laughs> you know, we were gonna do a, a few more positional rankings by PFF, but I really don't think Ernie can go through another set of rankings at this point. So we'll save that for another day. We're also going to get into uh, a lot more baseball next week. We're heading into the halfway point in the season. All-star rosters should be set by next weekend. We'll give you our feedback on who we think has been doing a great job so far this year. Maybe any all-star snubs if that comes out in time. We'll do that next week. What I'm going to do now with my closing, Todd, Ernie, is is... Another thing that was big news this week that had nothing to do with Deshaun Watson's, uh, you know, situation in the NFL right. and nothing to do with the NBA had nothing to do with the live versus PGA 
but it was USC and UCLA letting the Pac-12 know that they are up and out and they will be joining the Big Ten Conference and playing as early as 2024, which is just two years away. Yeah. Further consolidation. So here, here are a couple of my thoughts. Beyond that, before I even get to the thought, beyond that, it is inevitable. And I spoke to somebody uh, close to the Oregon Duck situation yesterday and they said that within the next couple of weeks Oregon and Washington are following USC and UCLA to the Big Ten so the Big Ten will have their 16 teams the SEC now with Texas and Oklahoma have their 16 teams so you have two major major conferences and what used to be called the power five seems to be down to the power two Two. and then what does that mean Does it mean that the rest of the Big 12 and the rest of the Pac-12 merge into a third super conference? What to do with the ACC? There has to be some desperation in there because the SEC and the the Big 10 are so powerful now with all of these big name schools um, that they're going to squash the others. Mm -hmm. You know, so you look at the Pac-12 and who's left. You have... Oregon State, Washington State, you have Arizona, Arizona State, Cal, Stanford, Colorado, and Utah. That sounds like the Mountain West. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, maybe they go after a San Diego State or something along those lines, but that's not going to raise their national profile. USC and UCLA really dictate that. Uh, and then in the Big 12, who do you have left? You really don't have, I mean, you have the national champion, Kansas, in basketball, but in football, Kansas, Kansas State, they're nothing. Baylor has been good recently, mm-hmm. but there's not a whole lot there. So what is going to happen now? You know, are teams like Clemson or Miami that have national brands going to be seeking entry into another conference? It's, it's, a, it's again, it's, a situation where people are following the money and the SEC and the Big Ten has done the best job of creating television revenue. ESPN spun off the SEC network, which has been wildly successful. The Big Ten did it a little bit differently. They partnered with Fox and they have done something with Fox as well as the Big Ten network. But a lot of their relationship is through Fox and they've excelled. The Pac-12 tried to do it independently, just do it on their own. And the Pac-12 network has been a colossal failure, which is why I think USC and UCLA are like, these guys getting 20 million a year, we're getting 10 million a year. We're going to go. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. But again, you're talking about a situation with USC and, and UCLA now where their home, I mean, their travel games now, they're going to be traveling 1,500 to mm-hmm. 2,000 miles now. And you guys all know Ernie and I are from Hawaii. Our local university here, the University of Hawaii, they travel more than most NFL teams, if not all NFL teams. And that wears on you. Every time you travel, you got to go 3,000 miles. If they're going to have to start traveling 1,500 to 2,000 miles five or six times a year, um, is that going to have an impact on the play on the field? 
We'll never know yet. We'll see how that translates to. But uh, very disappointing news if you're a traditionalist. Very disappointing news if you're a Pac-12 fan. Very exciting news if you're a Big Ten fan. And if you really don't care, then if you the more good teams you, you combine into these conferences, the more exciting, I guess, it is for certain people. But there is no doubt that we're getting to the point where it seems like we're going to have another tier added where the Big Ten, SEC, and maybe a couple other, maybe one more league is going to be fighting for the national championship and everyone else will be fighting for a secondary championship mm-hmm. like they do with 1A, Division Two, Division Three, and the NAIA. So big news out of Los Angeles. Um, your thoughts, Ernie, on, on the consolidation and the shakeup in, in NCAA sports? Yeah, it's, 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 it's sad to see, you know, that money can do this type of thing. I mean, yes. Uh, now we're, you know, money is in, re- in regards to the image and likeness, uh, payouts to college student, which I think was long overdue. Uh, but for it to disrupt traditional conferences, especially a conference like the Pac-10 and the Pac-12, uh, which may be dwindled down to like the Pac-4 by the time <laughs> all is said and done. It's, 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 it's sad. It's sad because now, I mean, the Rose Bowl, you know, that traditionally had your top two Pac-10 teams out there is now diminished. And that's been around for a hundred years already. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's to me, that's been pulled down to the wayside. Uh, It's going to change. And to me, the equaling factor out of all of this is playoff expansion. If playoff expansion, uh, really happens maybe to an eight to a 16 team uh level and they make it mandatory that you know each conference has a representative on top of that maybe that pulls that stops the bleeding you know as far as other teams trying to do that because you know you can only have at large and how many at large is if you have eight really good top 20 teams but only four of those teams can go i mean you're out of there, so yeah. we'll see. It's 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 just disappointing if it you're is. if you're a traditionalist and you're used to all of the you know how it how it was. Change is good, folks, but sometimes change is bad. In this uh, this type of uh, situation, it just seems like they're following the money as uh, you know at the disparity of you know the haves versus the have-nots. And if you're in the have-nots, which is probably a greater part of the majority, it's just a sad day for college football. Yeah, I mean, because overall, we know how football drives the success of all, all sports, sports because they generate the revenue. And if you take, you know, half of the Division One football and you relegate them to a lesser than and their revenues drop, that's less money for Title Nine. That's less money mm-hmm. for new sports or additional sports. You know, so there is going to be, you may say, Hey, it is what it is. It's, it's a capitalistic type situation and, and the strong are going to, are going to rise and stuff, but there are going to be casualties because it's not like these big 10 and sports are going to create new sports. They have what they have. They're just going to quote unquote waste it with overzealous spending on facilities, et cetera. When that, some of that money would be better off helping a, a young man or a young lady get a scholarship to play a sport in college. So it is what it is. That's the world that we live in right now. I am more of a traditionalist. I am all for the empowering of stuff. 
But in this way, I think the NFL gets it right. The NFL creates every year there's hope that you can you can go from last place to first place because everyone shares the revenue. Everyone shares the revenue, no matter how good you are, how much you're, uh, you sell out your arena or how many jerseys you sell. They all sell. They all share the revenue and everyone prospers for that reason. And the NCAA is going the complete opposite where mm-hmm. they're going to consolidate. The rich are going to get richer and the rest are going to get left behind. And that could have some casualties that I think are unintended, but is inevitable in my opinion. Right. And, and you can't blame some of these universities who are actually doing this. I mean, I think they see the writing on the wall and, mm-hmm. you know, it's really the last person to react. You don't want to be the last one holding the bag. Mm-hmm. It's more like hot potato. Yeah. If you're holding at the end, I mean, you're out. So uh it's just the climate the ncaa needs to do something about this hopefully sooner than later i think this is going to be a trend coming for a while uh, again I, I think the quick fix might be to start uh expediting that playoff expansion in regards to uh the national championship is concerned putting in uh, level t's on top of that where each conference needs to be represented at least to a certain point uh you know that way at least the playing field from the enticing standpoint of your probability of getting into that tournament is better than if you just join a super conference. So we'll see. We'll see. Anything else you want to cover, Ernie? I no, because I'm still upset about that number 22 ranking. I, I've got to go get Ernie some alcohol and get him to be calm. See, I just sprung this on Ernie right before the show just to get his true actual reaction. I hope you guys enjoyed all of that. But again, happy 4th of July weekend to all of you. We appreciate all of you, your time, your attention. We ask you to continue to share this uh, social media, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. Ask us questions, topics you want us to cover next week or any of the upcoming weeks. Just let us know. We'll be happy to accommodate that. And hopefully at some point we'll be able to get guests on here that can actually help us share some of the information and some of the knowledge. But until then, the sports rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.